listening to the Maddox Podcast, hosted by the Maddox Real Estate Team. Jason Maddox, Jamie Abitia, and Katrina Pryor, presented by Painless Podcast. To learn more about our services, check out our website at maddoxrealestate.com. The summer buying season is about to kick off, and after last summer's market was torpedoed by the COVID pandemic, this year the market seems poised to make up for lost time. Demand for Barrier homes is continuing to rise while inventory struggles to keep up, creating one of the bigger seller markets seen in recent history. With prices at an all-time high and competition as fierce as ever, the Maddox team is here to give you the tips and insights to help you successfully navigate this wild Bay Area housing market this summer. Welcome to our podcast today. Hey, uh, we've got Robert Ring in the house. Hello. We're uh, drinking some of his wine. Rob, talk about this wine a little bit. Uh, So this is from Alpha Omega Winery uh, in Napa. It's a winery I joined recently. I love their wine. They've got really uh, big, bold, like red wines. That's kind of like what they're known for. Uh, this is a little bit of a softer one, wouldn't you say? It's yes, from absolutely. Merlot. It's yeah. from 2018 in, from the Napa Valley region. I believe it's 100% Merlot. Um, this is the first time I'm trying it, so I don't know a whole lot about the flavor profile, but I'll tell you a whole list of things in a moment. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's a really nice Merlot. I don't love Merlots all the time because they tend to be a little too sweet and like really round in the flavor profile. This is a little bit dry. It's kind of earthy. Um, it's nice for Merlot. It's I, I'm t- I, I, it tastes, tastes kind of oaky to me. Is that what you... It tastes delicious. It tastes delicious. <laughs> it tastes, uh, I like sweet wine, so that's mm-hmm. probably why I love it. What do you think, Jamie? I have no preference. It's wine. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It smells delicious. Tastes it delicious. It does. It's right up my alley. Yeah. So, right. so what are we going to get into today? Um, we're going to talk about the market. We're going to talk about some of uh, Jamie's experience in the last few months here, and uh, we'll chime in when we can. And you know, we'll, we'll yeah, see. I think anyway. we're going to kind of wing it today. But uh, you know, it's going to be from our personal experience over these past few months uh, since our last real estate topic podcast. I think things are just as crazy, if not even a little bit crazier now as we head into the summer, talk about, you know, what we expect, what we're seeing right now. And then Rob can kind of chime in on the lending side, what the future of real estate looks like, kind of touch on all of those topics, just to give everybody a really clear understanding of what it's like to be a buyer or seller right now. And from the lender's point of view. And actually, you might want to talk about, uh, you know, where you're from and cross-country mortgage. Sure. Yeah, give a little background. Okay, great. Here's my bio, right? Uh, I'm Robert Ring. I'm a lender with cross-country mortgage. I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. I'm just getting past my eighth year, right? So getting close to that decade mark, which I'm very excited about. But um, what I really love doing is helping people buy homes. And um, that's the primary focus of my business. Uh, I work with the Maddox team quite a bit. Uh, what I'm seeing in the market right now, is, am I talking about that right now or just myself? I'm sorry, I'm nervous. I'm just going <laughs> No, you're fine. Why you're no, here. Just, so why I'm here. We're, we're, we're un- unscripted. So unscripted. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, just it's real, a perspective of realtors, a team, just for, yeah. and then also from the lending totally side relaxed. perspective of the Now, market. let me just kind of go back a bit. So I met Rob years ago. Gosh, oh, maybe gosh. when you first got started, right? You first got started, yeah. I know, the exact deal and yeah. the exact situation. So we were, you, wait, we were listing, you didn't have your license yet. We were listing a property in Hercules. It was a mm-hmm. condo and you had the buyer and, and I respected you so much because you called me. You actually worked with me to work with the agent because she wasn't super versed on how to write a contract. She how to write the offer. Yeah. <laughs> so you really worked that out. Yeah. Uh, and then when it came down to closing, I think we were there was one hiccup. I think the toilet needed to be 
Yeah. It needed to be set or something, right? Yeah. And and you go, okay, uh, we're going to get this done. So you literally come out. I go to the house. We meet there. And we're standing there. And I go, so do you know how to do this? He goes, no, but uh, we got YouTube. <laughs> I was like, I respect you for coming out. We're going to call a plumber. But we went, <laughs> first, we, like, you were going along with it. First, we went to Home Depot. Remember that? We were yeah. standing in the aisle. Yeah. And I could just tell. I was like, he's getting irritated. Well, because well, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't yeah. know how to do this. And, and I, you know, and, and where I was figuring, you're, you know, you were going to do anything to get that done and oh, just yeah. and get your client what she wanted. And that was super cool. So ever yeah. since then, I've had a lot of uh, faith in you and, and, uh, respect what you do and I know that you have everybody's interest at heart so mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the reasons why well the reason why we work together cool mm -hmm. thank yeah. you yeah. I and should then, work on my plumbing skills so I get some more <laughs> <laughs> yeah. business and then no, over the years fun. we've just developed a friendship yeah we have coming from a work relationship mm -hmm. and, and we just got back from Puerto Vallarta for yeah. your 30th birthday 30th birthday, birthday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we all went that was cheers sure you guys had a great time yeah oh that's right um, Jamie didn't get to go bummer so next, next time, time. Next, in Cabo somebody had to stay here and man the business but that's fine yeah. that's right yeah. Eczema is fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so anyway, I'm so sorry. So um, yeah, go ahead and leave up where you were talking about. Yeah. So the market. The market. Um, should I dive into what I'm seeing in the market yeah, right now? Sure. Well, obviously rates are really low, right? So that means people can qualify for a lot more than they could previously. And so it's created a surge in buyers. At the same time, there's a lack of inventory, right? So there's just a lopsided demand that's causing kind of craziness in the market and everybody sees it. You put something on the market, it gets 10, 20, 30 offers. Um, and it's super, super competitive. So from the lending side, I mean, we're working with a lot of buyers, but getting them in contract is obviously the hardest part. Right. There's a lot of concern. There's always concern though in every market. You know, I remember uh, years ago, people go, I think the market's gonna crash, it's gonna turn, et cetera. And then uh, in 2018, when prices started to come down, people go, I'm gonna wait till the market, you know, the prices come down and then I'm gonna buy. And so people always wait and they're always unsure, but usually what it comes down to and the reason that they're on the fence or they have nerves about it is because they don't do this every day like we do. They don't see what we see. But what the main thing is, 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 is uh, just a lack of knowledge about what's going on. You know, when we get a buyer, they probably have like 30 or 50 questions maybe that they need answers to, and they just don't know what questions to ask. They don't know task. That's right? so true. I, yeah. I run through that all the time and yeah. run into that all the time. I mean, people just, they say, oh, well, that's what you do. What is an, what is an earnest money deposit? What is this? What yeah. is that? And we do this every day. So right. we kind of assume they know what, what they're totally. doing. And so it's almost like we have to, and Jamie's really good about educating people along the way. So when she yeah. first meets mm -hmm. people and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely prioritize educating buyers because it's definitely not for the, you know, the faint of heart to get into this market and try to figure out what you're doing as you go. I feel like you have to have some basic knowledge about the process at least so that mm -hmm. when you are thrown into the fire, when you make an offer on your dream home that you just found, it's your first offer. And then you find out there's 30 other offers. Yeah. You don't feel like you're not going to be bottom of the barrel. You're going to be up there at the top because mm -hmm. I'm going to train you and teach you what it's going to take to get that house. And it still may not work out, but there, that's usually circumstances out of our control, right? Yeah. There's a lot of cash out there right now. And if you have a financed offer, regardless of how strong you are, it's always going to be, not always, but there's a potential for cash to come out ahead because it's a quick and easy deal. And you can even talk about that a little bit, you know, yeah. how, how we strengthen our finance fires so yeah. that you can compete with cash offers. Yeah. When you get out there, you're being just as competitive. Yeah. I mean, cash is obviously really strong and sellers sometimes prefer that. It obviously depends on like how quick they are, how quick they want to close. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've got to do things like play around with our contingencies, which is, 
something that if you're watching this, you don't know what that is, just another intricacy to the contract that we're all aware of and, and we need to educate our clients on so they're aware of it because uh, when you go into a real estate contract, you actually give the seller some money up front. It's, it's held by a third party so they're not just grabbing onto your money, but you're saying, if I back out, you can keep that money unless I back out because of whatever reason, you have like three protected reasons that you can back out for if you've listed those in the contract. And so if you have none of those, it's a stronger offer, right? Or if you have less of those, it's a stronger offer. And those three things are inspections, appraisal, and the loan, right? So then that's when I come in and they go, how fast can you get the loan approved or do we need a loan approval contingency, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes we're underwriting like our clients, uh, that you're writing yes. off for this morning. We did their underwriting process ahead of writing the offer so they can get rid of the loan contingency. Uh, in this case, I think they needed the appraisal contingency because mm -hmm. they had the minimum amount down. So if the house doesn't appraise, they're not able to, to buy it for the price that they're agreed on right now. So that's protection that you have to have in place. I don't know if they have an inspection contingency. That's something the realtors always advise on. Mm -hmm. and it probably depends on whether or not there's reports that have been made available to the buyers That's right. um, ahead of time. So you know what you're getting into. Uh, but even if there's not an inspection contingency, and you guys can talk about this a little bit, if you get into contract on a home, you're, you still need to do your due diligence. You're gonna walk it, you're gonna have people look at it, et cetera. And if you find out something major wrong with the house, it's material new evidence that maybe wasn't That's listed correct. or reported or disclosed to you, you do have renegotiating power. It's not the end of the world. I mean, that's something that, that sellers sometimes overlook mm -hmm. and that buyers uh, get nervous about and it's like well you're very protected with California real estate contracts and the seller has a huge obligation to disclose everything that they know about it in some states that's not the case right but California it is so do you guys want to talk a little bit about that and, and how you navigate that process yeah so the 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 inspection like the inspection contingencies when we're when we write offers um, so when we list properties, Jamie and I are pretty big about getting or at least advising the seller to get reports on the property as you you know as you talked about. Mm -hmm. And this this allows for us to have offers that are non-contingent. Mm -hmm. um, but there is kind of a workaround with that. Um, if somebody comes in and finds some find something new or the seller mm -hmm you know, doesn't disclose something, then that's kind of a, a, a you know, we, we can't really hold that. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have to like, we have to negotiate at that point. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're, you know, we work with inspectors who are very good, uh, very diligent about what they do so that we don't miss anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's huge. Let I me mean, go ahead and no, yeah, and carrying on the listing side of that, I think it's really important for sellers to not only disclose everything they know, but yeah, we are a big proponents of getting inspections up front because when it does come time to take offers, you know, there are going to be buyers out there that know it's competitive, that know they're up against 20 other people, and they're going to say, what can I do to make my offer stronger? Oftentimes, buyers will remove their all of their contingencies, yeah. at least their inspection contingency, and it makes me as an agent feel a lot more comfortable, and I tell this to my sellers as well, if we have reports on file, at least we know we've disclosed a majority, if not everything, to them that we possibly can, so yeah. that we feel more comfortable taking those non-contingent offers. And if we're if we're listing a property and we don't have reports, I don't feel comfortable taking an offer that has no contingencies yeah. as as a listing agent. Yeah, because I mean that that puts me you know that that uh, puts liability on me. You're asking as a listing for agent a renegotiation to or a problem down the road. I mean, it's just yeah, right. So I mean, it, even if you do like a short term, like a five day or something yeah. like that, versus like what does the contract say, seventeen? Mm -hmm. You know, do a five ten day or something like that. If there's no inspections on the property, but if there are, then yes, you can comfortably remove them with the guidance of of your agent, uh, but. Yeah, it's not the end of the world, like you were saying. And, and you, you do this too. I mean, yeah. One thing that I mention is, yeah, you absolutely have the right 
to have all the inspections done and can have the contingency in place. However, even if you remove contingencies, you still have the right to secure any and all inspections right. that you deem necessary. Mm -hmm. um, in the event, and, and I usually prepare my clients by saying, it's like, it's like buying a used car. You, you're not gonna buy a used car without miles. So you have to expect some miles on the home. You have to expect there's gonna be wear and tear, there's gonna be you know, some things that you're just gonna to have to pay for. It's, it's part of buying you know, essentially a used home. So you have that in place, you have that in mind, and you base the offer on that. Um, and then we do the inspections, and they're like, oh yeah, it's about $5,000. That's kind of what we anticipated and what we had in mind, so we're good. And so there's some you know, level of cushion and protection there. In the event there's something catastrophic, then of course, like foundation, that, something that like that, the that, seller right. knew about beforehand. Then you know we're always going to have the best interest um, in mind. So it is that balance of how do we make the offer as competitive as possible mm -hmm. while protecting the interests of our clients, mm -hmm. which is always you know paramount. That's the number one. Thing and I think right. all of us do a really good job of explaining this thoroughly to our clients, so they know if you're removing your inspection contingency, this is what it means, and this is what you can prepare for. And you know doesn't mean you're getting a perfect house necessarily. There could be some things wrong with it, but this is what you're willing to take on. And yeah, I know I, I really try to explain that to my clients. I've even, you know, there are times when you have to look out for the best interest of your clients and tell them there are no reports on file. I see a few things in this house already that would be concerning. An inspector could say they're nothing, but they could say they're not. They could say, you know, there's cracking on these walls. That could be foundation. It could not be as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really challenging when you're going up against people that will do anything to get home right now. Is it really worth it? Are you going to be yeah. uh, year down the line having to pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars in all of these reports that you know you didn't get up front? So yeah. it's it's challenging. Sometimes it's hard, but you as long as we educate our buyers, I think all of us try to do that. We do, yeah. And it's not just this market. I mean, from the last six years, it's always been. I've had every single one of my buyers. Every single one. So anybody who's interested in buying, this is a concern of everyone. And that is, I feel like I'm buying at the top of the market mm -hmm. and right. I'm getting really scared that mm -hmm. the market is going to crash or it's going to dip. Every single client. One of my favorite stories is a client that I had. We got to the very end of the contract, literally a week before closing. And he says, I, I'd like to meet you at Starbucks. So we're sitting at the Starbucks here in Hercules. And he said, I appreciate all the time, the effort, the energy, everything that you've done. This is our dream house but I think we're going to cancel the contract. Hmm. So I remember that after I pull myself up from the floor and I'm just <laughs> being very calm because we worked so hard to get him this dream home. Um, and I said, okay, let's talk about it. Like, let's discuss this, mm -hmm. um, share with me, you know, because my, as we've mentioned in the past, clients become friends by day two, we're friends. So I was like, let's talk this through. I don't want you to move forward to do anything that you're uncomfortable with. And I'm happy to cancel the contract. However, let's talk about it because I don't want you to have a regret Later three on. days down right. the road from now and we've just pulled out of the home that you've spent you know, so much time looking for and, and happy with. And he had spent in, uh, money on inspections and everything, right? Everything. We were literally a week before closing right. and he said, I feel like I'm buying at the top of the market. This was like four or five years ago. Okay. I feel like I'm buying at the top of the market and I'm just scared the market is going to crash. There's so much insecurity with the economy right now, with presidency. This was before Trump and, you know, just everything. Um, so we talked it through. Um, at the end of the conversation, he just said, okay, you know what? Let's just 
let's just go for it. I don't want to make the wrong mistake here either on the other end. Um, So I happily contacted him about six months ago and I said, Hey, uh, your house is about $120,000 more in equity. (laughs) I just wanted to, you know, give you a shout out and say, Hey, and um, you know, hope, hope you and your family are doing well. Now, had he canceled that and continued to look for a home, he would have been chasing the market and it would have lost out on the equity gain that he has had. So even folks now that are getting in the market, they're like, are we buying at the top of the market? And would you tell us? And I always say, I can't predict what the market is going to do, but I can tell you I have this exact same conversation with every single buyer because it is the number one concern in this economy, in the Bay Area. Am I buying too high? And the answer right now, again, I, I don't know, um, but in the long term, and we've discussed this before also, in the long term, it's, it's, it's your home, it's yeah. gonna, the market is going to ebb and flow, right. and if you're not looking at making a quick buck and selling it in a year from now, right. then I feel comfortable based on you know experience from the past going, I think you're going to be okay mm-hmm. um, if you're going to have, you know, this is going to be your home that you love. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have those same conversations with my buyers and I tell them in more cases than not, I've seen people price themselves out before I've seen them wait around and get the deal of the century. Because Mm -hmm. if chances are, if things do correct, like Rob and I were talking, you know, May 2018, prices were really high and then new inventory was released and we started to see some corrections that summer. It wasn't the market was tanking. It wasn't any type of dramatic, dramatic correction, but any type of correction is viewed as, oh my gosh, what's happening? And people, crash. The market's going <laughs> to yeah. crash. People, uh, things are going down. It's like, no, we have more inventory. There's not 20 offers on every house anymore. This is a great thing for buyers, but it's also a great thing for sellers because you're already at this new level of pricing mm-hmm. that, and it's going to, it's going to sustain, even if you have to do, you know, a, a price reduction here or there, you're still at such a, a top tier of pricing. Right. But I've had clients, um, you know, sometimes we do have to get creative. And when you are up against cash offers or people that have enough cash, and Rob, you can explain why in a minute, people are coming in with all this extra cash. Sometimes you have clients that say, okay, well, I can't completely remove my appraisal contingency, but I want to try to get creative. What can I do here? And in that case, you know, I might tell a client, okay, this is another strategy. It's kind of a middleman between the removing your appraisal contingency and keeping it, bridging the gap with a set amount of money. So uh, I'll give you some great examples. Last summer, I had clients that were willing to bridge the gap up to $20,000 over appraised value if the property didn't appraise. Mm-hmm. Let's put that into an example. I think they were purchasing at six thirty. dollars They ended up actually getting the property appraised at six fifteen, and they ended up coming with $15,000 over to, to make it to that six thirty number, not the full twenty dollars that they agreed to. I mean, today, their house is worth at least hundred thousand more than it was when they purchased last year. So, you know, at the time they were probably nervous saying, gosh, are we overpaying for this house? We've written seven offers. We're just desperate at this point. We'll do whatever it takes. We just want to get our foot in the door. We want to own own a home and look where it got them today. And you can, I think, explain a little bit better why people are having all this extra cash and why things are getting such so bid up over here. Yeah. Well, I mean, since COVID happened, a lot of people were able to work from home. We were talking about this yesterday, right? And so it's it's uh, created something that you educated me on yesterday, Katrina. It's called urban scrawl. Urban sprawl. Urban sprawl. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. It's just you know when. 
there's a big city. So let's say San Francisco. San Francisco is densely populated and you have a lot less home for the money. And then you just kind of, you know, people just kind of start branching out a little bit. And they're like, okay, well, maybe Emeryville. And then, you know, there's, you're settled in Emeryville. And then from Emeryville, it's San Pablo. And then it's Hercules. And then it's Pinole. And so you start branching out from these big cities into, um, you know, from, from major urban areas to more, you know, residential Suburban, communities yeah. and suburbs and um yeah and we see it happen all the time and now it's more and more it's progressing Mm -hmm. because people are able to work from home they don't have to you know be in the city of san jose or the city of san francisco they're able to work in their company Mm -hmm. right that it may happen to be in san francisco but they can do that in hercules right so they can take their hundred fifty thousand dollar engineer income that used to you know mean they'd have to commute into Fremont or Sunnyvale or San Jose, whatnot, and spend $4,000 a month in rent, and they can take that and apply it to a mortgage in Pinole, Concord, Pleasant Hill, Hercules, spend the same amount and be a homeowner, whereas that was a little bit of an insurmountable task with that salary. Right. And so it's, it's you know, like you said, but that drives prices up because if you go back in time, that wasn't so much the case. I mean, the farther you got away from these major metropolitan areas where there was a high concentration of high-paying jobs, you had... Um, you know, the home prices went lower and lower because the jobs in the areas like Concord, Concord used to be agricultural. It used right. to be covered in citrus farms, right? <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, homes in Concord were less than $200,000, you know? So it's like, uh, I bought into Concord when my house was around five fifty. you helped me buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I sold my house today, it would sell for 900 and I've owned it for like four years. It, Absolutely insane. Well, we love his house. We go there for dinner all the time. It's <laughs> yeah. so fun. So I love my house too. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. I was glad I bought when I did. Uh, but it's, it's causing that competition. But you still have the buyers that were out here that live in Pinole, that live in Hercules, that live in Concord. So when we've got our first time home buyers that are going out into Concord trying to make their initial bid, they're not coming from their Google job in Sunnyvale paying $4,000 a month in rent. I mean, they have good jobs, but they're more representative of the economies that we live and work in out here, mm-hmm. but they're competing with people that work for Tesla and just got paid out on a stock share because they got unrestricted stock. The golden handcuffs came off, as they say, you know, so different things like that. So the, the competition is a lot higher because now all these people that have a ton of money and really high paying jobs uh, can move wherever they want. And there's no reason to be in some of these cities. Some of these cities aren't even very nice to live in, you know, mm-hmm. like certain parts of Oakland are beautiful. Certain parts are not pleasant to, to be in, but people were spending tons of money to be there because it cut their commute in half. Right. And so you'd see certain areas of Oakland that were like gentrifying just rapidly overnight, uh, which is good and bad. I mean, right. It makes the community better. It pushes some people out though. It's got, there's pros and cons to that type of thing going on. But now we're just seeing that with this urban sprawl thing. Is that right? Urban sprawl? Yeah, that's what I call it. Sorry, I just want to make sure you have the The different terminologies. Like so. You have a different terminology for well, it. Well, I made also. one up, but apparently it's not It's not real. I call them ancillary suburbs, but that, <laughs> <laughs> that's, I like this urban sprawl thing. So anyways, that, that's what we're seeing, and that's why the competition is so stiff. And then we talked about this briefly. I'm just going to mention it so we can touch on this next. People go, you know, it's going to crash, it's going to turn around, et cetera. But, you know, going into the pandemic, the demand was already super high and it's been high for over over a decade because housing starts in California are so far behind that um, the natural demand, regardless of what the market's doing, uh, has been high already. Let me give you an example. Every year, um, we know based on the population and, and demographic information in the population, who enters the first time homebuyer category based on age, family, job, et cetera, right? In the Bay Area, on average, every year there's about six 
people for every one new home that's available. It's called a housing start, which means a new home was built or somebody moved like out of the state, right? So a home became available, right? Uh, for one of those six people. So that's just natural demand, right? And then you've got COVID, people were working from home. They don't want to sell their home. They don't want people coming through their home. Um, I mean, inventory went way down, but you still have the same amount of buyers and even more now because more people can afford to buy homes with low interest rates. Your buying power goes way up when you get a mortgage with a two in front of the interest rate, right? right. That's incredible. So let's talk about that for a minute because yeah. I don't think the market's gonna crash. I think we're just in an accelerated point of demand. And even if we went back to a normal market, we still have serious demand because we have a lack of homes. Yeah. Right. So I was having this conversation with people that came to my open house, which open houses are a thing again. I know. Um, but people that came to my open house and they were saying, you know, we really love this house, but I think we want to wait and see the prices come down a bit. Prices are just so high right now. And, you know, we've been waiting, we've been waiting, we've been put it, pushed out by the competition. So we think we're just going to wait until prices come down. And I said, you know, everybody keeps talking about this correction or this, I don't think it's going to be a crash, but you know, some kind of correction coming. But when you really sit down and think about it, there's no clear path to a correction, no, right? Not. So interest rates are super, super low, which means that um, more people can afford houses now, right? And people that could afford houses before get a little bit more bang for their buck now. They can afford higher price houses, which is kind of keeping in line with the market. Not only that, but when interest rates were super low, sellers did, everybody did a refi. So now sellers have these ridiculously low payments on their homes that they, you know, paid what, 300000 for 20, 30 years ago. And they're going to get to stay there at a really low price. Why would they sell? Yeah. They're moving somewhere in the state or in the area. If they're making a lateral move, it just doesn't make sense. They're yeah. going to sell high and they're probably going to buy higher. Right. And then yeah. you have the whole contingency. You know, we have to sell our house to buy a house. That's impossible right now when people are making non-contingent offers. The only time it really makes sense is if you have people moving out of state, which we are seeing some people move out of state. Yes. And I think that's contributing to the little bit of inventory that we have right now. Or... People, downsizing. Uh, maybe downsizing. Yeah. People that are selling their homes are downsizing. But even then, you know, they're selling homes that they have such a small payment on in a low tax base. Right. They're moving to, you know, smaller homes for just as much, if not higher pricing. I think it only makes so, sense if you're moving maybe out of the area, not necessarily out of the state, but out yeah, of the area into more of a, you know, up north or something like that. Yeah. I think that makes sense too. If you're moving to different areas that are going to be, um, you know, less congested, less populated, but then you're going to also have, you're going to be farther away from everything. You're not going to be a hop, skip and jump right. like Pinole is to San Francisco or Napa or right. Walnut Creek or pretty much anywhere you want to go. You're 30, 40 minutes away. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to, it's a give and take. You're going to be maybe getting a little bit more house, a little better price, but you're going to be giving up everything that's convenient. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, part of the challenge right now with, are we going to see a correction? I kind of feel like we're in a new normal. I do too. And I mean, it's, it's younger money now buying, buying homes. Right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, these, these people are established and I think that, um, I, I, I don't, I don't see a crash coming either. I do see stable, you know, stabilization. Is that even a word? Yeah. Um, I, I see things becoming stable. I, I mean, ebbs and flows in the market, but crash. Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't see that. Yeah. And let's talk about from the buyer perspective a little bit. Um, 
what do we tell buyers? Because it sounds like daunting. You hear us talking about the markets going up at such a rapid pace. If you want to sell, you can't even afford to rebuy. Uh, it's super competitive, 20 to 30 offers. And we're helping our buyers be the most competitive that they can. But before we even get to that step, we're always telling people that the, the things that you should focus on primarily when you're buying a house that you're going to live in, where you're going to sleep every night, raise your family, et cetera, you want to be able to afford that payment. That's the most important thing. Right. People aren't typically buying in and then selling the next day. This is not AMC stock or Dodo. Point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just check my AMC. Look at you pulling up AMC. Yeah. Yeah. What's it doing today? So uh, forty six eighty one. Okay, right on. So with that in mind, like it doesn't matter if the market crashes tomorrow because it's going to recover as long as you're comfortable making that monthly payment and you feel like your job is stable. You know, if the market did completely crash, that probably means that the job industry completely crashed and we've already lived through that, yeah. <laughs> right? And we're on the way back to jobs coming back. So jobs and, you know, people making and receiving money is going to drive the real estate market in a healthy real estate economy. Yeah. Home prices go up a little bit slower than incomes rise, which are about two to 3% per year. Now we've outpaced that for a very, very long time. And it's because the federal government has artificially manipulated interest rates to keep them low, which has driven up home prices because people can afford more. So back to that one word, affordability is the most important thing. On average, people stay in their home. They own their home mm-hmm. about five to seven years. Uh, and so if you look at it and you go, okay, you're going to buy today and you're not going to sell for five to seven years. If year two, the market crashes, it doesn't quite matter because even in the worst crash in real estate history, it recovered after how many years? Four, about four years about afterwards. Four years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you would still be fine. You wouldn't have lost money. You know, equity is fake money. And we got to talk about that for a minute. You can't go to your bank and say, hey, I'm going to, I want to pull out uh, uh, $50,000 today in cash from my equity. You can go get a loan and pay it back, right? But it's not real money that you can access. The, the, three time, the two times you're going to access it is through a cash out mortgage or a sale, right? So if you buy the home, you're comfortable with the payment, you like where you're going to live, it suits you and your family's needs, prioritize those things over market timing. People that try and play the market timing game never ever win. You're not, an, you know, if you're a first time home buyer, you're probably not an experienced real estate investor. And even if you are experienced real estate investors, don't time the market. They just save money. And when the market crashes and everything goes on sale, they start buying a lot of things. Right. But that's not the game that we're playing here. We're, 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 in, we're in this for the long haul. And we want to make sure that once you get into that home, you know, we don't hear from you six months later that you're facing foreclosure because you can't afford the payment. Yeah. So we make sure affordability is number one. And then you guys help your clients put their best foot forward within their capabilities. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all that you can do. And that's why sometimes it takes six, seven or eight offers to get in. But, you know, our reputation, our knowledge, you know, and us working with you, we can help you be as competitive as possible mm-hmm. and we will help you win an offer. It just takes a little bit of patience in this market if you don't have, you know, $800,000 in cash that you're walking through the door with. But don't sometimes, let that Sometimes it takes two or three times too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? Or one, right? It's not always the, yeah. It's not always, yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes you get lucky, but you know, it just, it's strategy. Yeah. And it's your team, whoever totally. who you're working with. Who you work with matters so much. So yeah. much, yeah. I was talking to a gal a couple of days ago and, I, and she said, she was standing in my Airbnb and she, I said, what, uh, what are you staying here for? Because she's staying for like a month and a half. And she goes, well, I'm selling my house. And I think it was like San Bruno for like, I don't know how much, probably 1.6 million or something. Yeah, three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and then she's going to buy in Panola Hercules. And I said, oh, cool. Who are you using for a real estate agent in Panola Hercules? Because we're in Panola, right? Yeah. And she's, and she mentioned it. I won't say the name. Um, 
but it rhymes with Redfin. <laughs> uh, I said, I, you should talk to, uh, I think I, I referred her to Jamie. I was like, you should talk to Jamie because Jamie knows Panola Hercules really well. And uh, you won't always get the best service. And this is not a dish on Redfin. There are some great Redfin agents, but Redfin is a discount brokerage. At the end of the day, they're a tech company and a discount brokerage. And discount brokers, uh, their value proposition is money, right? It's We are less expensive per se, but are they really less expensive? You know, are they saving their clients money? Are they doing renegotiations? I mean, it goes back to the, you get what you paid for. You yeah. get what you pay for. And let's talk about that. Explain what that means. Well, Cause I've seen you, both of you uh, and you renegotiate mid contract and save your clients thousands of dollars. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we usually say any agent that discounts our services is it, find out how that they're discounting them from you right. because in some way or another, you're taking a loss. Now on the listing side, you might have an agent come in and say, Oh, I'll, I'll list this for 1%. Okay. Well, I'd like to know where you're discounting. Are you taking this from you or are you taking this from me? Are you going to be doing professional photos? Are you going right. to be doing, uh, you know, all professional marketing? Are you going to be whatever it is, building websites and this and that and, um, disclosing or helping me disclose everything, creating even like disclosure files. You don't know how many agents still don't have just normal tools that we use every day. They still don't provide access to them. And it's really hurting their sellers because I've had situations where buyers, if they don't see reports on a property, they'll skip over the property because they don't know enough about it. Right. Yeah. right? So we want to make sure we're having everything up front. Our marketing and everything is very professional. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's all included in our, it's just, it's our basic standard services that we right. provide anybody. So what did this person say then when she talked to you? Because I mean, she mentioned something about not caring oh. about the cost and she's going through that oh, same yes. discount experience on the sales so side. So it was actually a really cool conversation. Um, we were talking and right away she was telling me a little bit about her, you know, what they're doing on the listing side, they're listing next month. And you know, this is what my agent's doing. And I said, okay, well, and I started asking her questions that she didn't have answers to. And yeah. she's, I said, are you providing reports? Are you doing this? How long are you staying on the market? Cause the number one thing I've noticed about these agents uh, from this company, and I've had personal experience with this is that I'll give you a great example. So I had buyers offering on a property from this company and the agent within two days messaged me and said, uh, we already have offers coming in. If you want a shot, you better submit something tonight. How many offers are you coming in? I think at least two. You've been on the market for two days and you have two offers. Don't you think that if you took offers next week, like you had planned, you would have a ton? Like, and this is just basic knowledge that like yeah. me thinking, why would you be taking offers so soon? She goes, well, just get something to me tonight. We're going to make a decision soon. And I said, well, why? How come you don't want to wait? Like my clients, I'm going to try to get them in tonight, but you're, you're pushing everybody. You know, you don't think you should spend more time on the market. And she goes, I just want to get this over with. I have tons of listings coming up because Redfin feeds their agents listings. I have tons of uh, listings coming up and I just don't have time for this. I need yeah. to get it in contract. And you see this, oftentimes you see these agents that are like, I sold your house in two days. Well, is that really mm -hmm. beneficial to your seller? It's not. No. You sold it in two days. How many people didn't even get the opportunity to view the home? Yeah. Because when you're on the market for, you know, minimum, I say like a minimum of 10 days, usually two full weekends plus a full week of showings is what I like to do. And then take offers when you're on the market for 10 days, you're allowing people that, you know, work weekends to come see it during the week or people that work all evenings. And maybe they're only off on weekend mornings or something like that. You're giving them every opportunity to get in there and see it. And you're, that's why you're left with, you know, 10, 20 offers on these properties. Cause you've shown it to, you've maximized the exposure for yeah. sure. These agents are leaving money on the table. Yeah. Because, 20, 30, 40, because they're overwhelmed and they just want to get it sold. And then they market it like I sold your house in, you know, two, three days. And it's like, 
Congratulations. From our community, it's like that's yeah. not yeah. really something to brag about. That's no. not, yeah, that's yeah. not. So when buyers and sellers see the Redfin advertisement, uh, you know, sell for 1%, yeah. what should immediately go through your mind immediately when you see that without even thinking it should be and lose 10%. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. so that's the other thing that we actually, um, that I talk to people a lot about is, you know, when it comes time to negotiations, if this person can't negotiate for themselves, if they can't negotiate their own, you know, whatever, right. then what does that say about what they're doing for you? Yeah, you might be saving, what, one and a half, two percent, whatever yeah. it is. You might be saving a couple percent, but... When it comes time to negotiating offers, are you leaving ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars on the table right. overall? Like, was it really worth that one and a half, two percent? It wasn't. So it's that not. lady that spoke to you, she made so a comment. She made a comment. She said, "You know, just from our conversation now, you're not even my listing agent. You've given me so much knowledge on the listing <laughs> side that I know. I now feel like I know what to ask because I didn't know before. Right. And not only that, but your, um, you know, local experience and you'll you'll know the markets really well because I was telling her about you know homes on average or." Selling between seven to ten percent over asking in Pinole and Hercules, and that's just on average. And then giving her prime examples on if it's turnkey, if all the upgrades are done, you can expect it to be up to 15, 20% at times. Yeah. Different things. And these are numbers that I run. This isn't just charts I'm reading online. Like I personally run my numbers mm-hmm. every couple of weeks. I make sure I'm in the know on different markets. Because then I know when buyers are going to compete, what it's gonna take to be competitive. Totally. Yeah, the house might be listed for $599, but they're a good example. $399 in Pinole, it ended up selling for Five sixty, yeah. forty offers or something like that. You know, so she said, just the knowledge that you've given me in this thirty-minute conversation makes me know that the seven or eight thousand dollars that I might be saving with Redfin isn't worth it because they would have never given me this knowledge. Wow, that's amazing. Which that is, is super amazing. Great. So that means that she thinks that seven or eight thousand dollars you're going to make is going to save her or make her yeah. more than that amount right. because of your experience and your knowledge of representing her. Yeah, and and you yeah. know when it comes yeah. time to making offers and stuff, same thing applies. If they're not willing to negotiate for you on the sell side, what are they going to do on the buy side? You know, sorry. A lot of agents these days, I keep saying this, is I feel like agents forget how to be agents. It's so easy to be in this market right now, in a sense. It's so easy to get a listing, throw it on the market. The house sells itself, right? I mean, yes, you might market it beautifully and you can do everything right, but the house is going to sell itself. You could Crappy agents are getting by because they really don't have to do much to get a house to sell. Yeah. So they're going to sell itself, but I lost my train of thought. Where's I going with this? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you made a good point, though. I mean, when the market's good like this, everybody oh, wants to get their license. That's the thing. Everybody wants to get their license. Everybody wants to be an agent. But do they really know what it takes? I've had agents that will just take no for an answer. Like, OK, I'll give you a great example. I'm working with an agent right now over in um, the Marin area. And, you know, we put out a counter. We got down to offers. We had like... 10 offers or something like that. We got down to the offers, we countered them. And had she not accepted the counter, like most agents would say, you know what, we don't accept it. We're just, sorry, we're going to walk. And she goes, no, I'm going to counter you back. So we, we went back and forth a little bit. We came to a price and terms and everything that satisfied both her client and my client. And we were able to work together to make both of our clients happy, which at the end of the day is exactly what we want. Right? Exactly, totally. We all have the same goal. You just want your client to walk away happy. But a lot of agents will take no for an answer because they just don't have experience or they're not comfortable negotiating. Yeah. And they'll say, sorry, guys, you didn't get it. Well, yeah. why didn't we get it? Was there something else we could have done? Yeah. You know? And let's talk about this for a minute. You mentioned crappy agents. Why are there crappy agents out there? And it's like, and why are you guys good? Right. And it matters who you work with. Right. So somebody to get their broker's license is not, it's not totally easy, but once you get it, you can hire agents to work for you. Right. And, and there's not a standard of training 
other than an agent getting their real estate license, which doesn't give them a whole lot of knowledge on how to represent a buyer or a seller, you know, adequately, especially in this market, which is super competitive and all the laws and contracts that we have to understand and know in California and the marketing techniques, et cetera. So the reason you guys are so good is because you've been trained and talk a little bit about when new agents come to work for you, what do you do for them? How do you train them? And why are you the agents that work at Maddox Real Estate set apart? Because it's not just that you guys work together and know each other, it's because you set a standard, you give information, you educate, you train, you support, you hire, right. you market. There's a whole, you know, tree, there's a whole thing that goes together right. to give out that level of service. And there's a reason that, that you guys are not crappy agents. And there's a reason that there are crappy agents because it's an easy buck because brokers can hire people on, they'll sell the house, they're going to do a crappy job, they're going to get the money. And all that those people care about the broker is they got is, their cut of the deal. Is the money, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, with us, I mean, we're so connected with each other and uh, we, we communicate every single day. We bounce ideas off of each other every single day. If something comes out, you know, with, with um, any new rules or laws or whatever, it's immediately talked about. We just want to make sure that we're all educated and we educate each other yeah. on a daily basis, you yeah. know? And I, I mean, Jamie's so good now, I will call her for advice. Yeah. So, I mean, she does deals that I have never done before, like mm -hmm. in this couple of the VA deals that you've done. And so she strategized those that are, that I, in my book, I was like, I, this will never get done. And she's got it done. I call Katrina. She's got really good strategies with, mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, her, her appraisal contingencies and, and cash and extra cash and all that stuff. So we've used all these tools with each other and, and, yeah. and got clients in contract and stuff like that. And that's, and, and I think at the end of the day, it's our clients. And, and I always say this when I first meet someone, I said, you don't know me well, we're going to work together and I'm going to guide you as if you were my sibling or my auntie or my family member. You don't know that yet, but you're going to know that by the end of this transaction. Mm -hmm. And so we always put the best interests of our clients first. Always, number And we one. come back to each other to go, how can I represent them in the best way? Here's a question that I have. And between all three of us and the level of experience and years in real estate that we have, we're always going to get to an answer that is going to be to the benefit of the client. It's to the point where my husband's like, can you please not take calls at nine o'clock at night? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, boo. Right. Um, this is my client. And right. yeah, they come first. You know, they, yeah. family time is, is family time. But really at the end of the day, it's like, this is a huge transaction. This is somebody's biggest investment of their life. Mm -hmm. And they have a question, I'm going to be there. And we all are this way. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there to answer it. Right. And if we can't answer it, we're going to find somebody amongst ourselves or somebody else outside of us that can. Yeah. So we can provide that type of, uh, of, of experience and education that's going to help them make the best decision and transaction possible. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things we've always said is that we're in this business to be relational, not transactional. Right. That's so, the, yeah, that's the number one thing. That's our number one rule. So like you said, you know, I've always told my clients, I treat my clients like my family. If my sister or my brother is getting into a deal, I'm going to give you the same advice that I would give them. And sometimes it's not always the advice that's going to lead to us closing escrow, right? It's not going to lead right. to us seeing this deal through. It's now we have this information. We're going to have to, you know, figure this out. And I may suggest that you, you know, pull out. If I don't really think this is a good uh, opportunity for you, I'm going to let you know. I'm going to be honest. And it's not always the easy conversation to have, but it's, I think the most respected one. Yeah. People really respect when you're honest with them. Yeah. And, you know, going back to not being transactional, there's a lot of brokerages out there and kudos to them. There's a lot of great people out there that are all about numbers and beating and competing with each other yeah. and, you know, awards here and there. And we've just never really been like that. I think number one, we 
not only prioritize our clients, but we prioritize happiness. Yep. That's why you it's see us all the time, you know, out to dinner together. We really love each other and have a good time together. And, you know, we vacation together. They just went on a trip. I was supposed to go with uh, Supportive Vallarta with Rob for his birthday. But, you know, we build these relationships and we really do enjoy each other's company. We enjoy uh, our clients. We've been on a cruise with our clients. We go out to dinner often with our clients. We go to their house to hang out. You know, we're friends with these people and and our reputation matters. Yeah, and I totally. think that that's what does separate us. Right. Um, I just had a, a client recently and I could tell she loved the yard and she didn't love the house. And so I told her, you know, and I'm watching her and I know her well enough because we've done a couple transactions together. I go, I just don't feel like you're feeling it. Like, you know, there's, there's an emotion, there's a feeling in a transaction. She's like, I love the yard. And I go, but are you buying the yard? Or are you buying the house and the yard? She's like, I'm buying the house and the yard. And I go, how do you feel about the house? And she's like, I don't love it. I'm like, then this isn't the right house for you. Mm. And later on, she texts me back and she's like, thank you for having my back. Cause you could have totally pushed this transaction and I might have bought it. But now I feel like, you know, I can trust you completely because you're able to tell me, no, this isn't the right house for you. Um, And I knew that it wasn't. I just wanted to, ha- you know, I just wanted, I wanted the yard and, and that wouldn't have made me happy in right. the end. So, and then kind of going back to what you were saying, Rob earlier, you know, so what we do is we, we don't have number goals. We have relationship goals. Yeah. So how many relationships can you create? Cause I truly believe if you create relationships and you have, and you put the client first, the money will follow, but don't totally. focus on the money because that's, you know, that's a transaction, right? Yeah. Um, focus on your clients, do the right thing. Your clients will love you for that. And we will sleep at night. Great. Yeah, you know? that's the biggest thing. Uh, yeah. so how do I sleep at night? Best believe when something's going awry in a transaction, you know, sometimes you can't always have an answer right away. And I'm a fixer. So I'm like, how do we figure this out? What are we going to do to get this solved? Um, whether it be something came up in an inspection or, you know, there's something that we just didn't foresee happening. And it's how, how am I sleeping at night? Did I handle this to the best of my ability? Are we, you know, do we have a clear path path to how we're going to take care of this or handle it moving forward? We may not have an answer today, but will we get this figured out by the end and things like that? And then going back to what you're saying, you know, what distinguishes us from these crappy agents as I use, but I think it's, it's again, that we have our client's best interest in mind. And a lot of agents out there are doing it for themselves. They're doing it so that they have numbers to show for it and that, you know, they can close deals and that they can look good to their broker or their brokerage, or they can, you know, market themselves. Right, market themselves I mean, online. everybody needs to make money, so you can't fault them for it. No. But they don't have the right leadership in place. Right. To summarize what you guys have been saying is you, well, all of you now have quite a bit of experience. So mm-hmm. you've come to a level where mastermind is really important and you help each other. It's kind of like you're sharpening each other's tools, Absolutely. Right? We coach each other that, all the time. Yes, yeah, so you're coaching each other. That's huge. And then, of course, if any new agents or younger agents or more experienced agents would join the fold, they're going to get all of that as well. Right. And that's why you keep a higher standard. And at the same time, you're not going out there focused on your commission and your money, which some people are, but the, the leadership and the tone that you guys have set within this group, especially is that it's not about the money. The client is more important, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you prioritize that and that, that, that really shows, like you mentioned in your story, um, people trust you because they realize, mm-hmm. and it goes, you know, people can tell even with me. Cause like sometimes, um, I can tell, like if I, if I'm not prioritizing my client's best interests or going in it with the attitude of, I'm just here to help you. 
they can tell like my ego might get in the way and it, it doesn't translate well. So I always have to tell myself and remind myself I'm here to help the client and it doesn't matter the size of the financing or the loan that I'm getting the person, whether it's $3 million or like right now I'm doing a loan for $75,000. If you want to know what the commission is on $75,000, <laughs> it's like five bucks. It's like five dollars. <laughs> it's terrible. But I'm very happy about the $75 transaction because, um, it's important. It's for an elderly woman who's on limited income who needs to save money and get out of a 7% rate mortgage, mm -hmm. right? Jeez. And uh, there was some like uh, disputes within the family on how to do this mortgage. And uh, one sibling called me and said, you know, the other one wants her to do cash out. Is this whole thing, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So then I, I got to help these people. So it's like, let's call a meeting, right? And so I didn't tell him that I was familiar with the, the gossip around the situation, but I sat him down and I said, I said to the, to the lady, I said, I don't recommend that you take cash out of your home. I said, you're elderly, you're retired, you have limited income, uh, and we've discussed a strategy that's going to give you a payment that works for you. She didn't need the cash. One of her kids did. Uh, okay. I said, your kid doesn't need to utilize your home to get cash uh, in, for this you know, for this to work well for you. And I just don't recommend it. If something happens to your kid, his business, there's, an, there's now an attachment to, to you and to your home. Uh, and it's risky for you, right? And so I just said, I'll do at the end of the day whatever you want me to do. But I can tell you, excuse me, my advice is not to do this and to do this. And I really cared about her. And I listened to her son explain to her in Spanish because she spoke limited English, mm -hmm. what exactly it was that I had recommended. And at one point, because I have a limited uh, comprehension of Spanish, which was sharpened while I was in Puerto Vallarta. You're doing pretty well in Puerto Vallarta, well. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like yeah. ordering my tacos and my yeah, tequila. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing pretty well. That's the Spanish I've learned. Yeah. But I heard him say, uh, you know, that the money that you're going to give me is separated, separado from the business, right? And it's just a, a loan from, from madre to hijo, from mother to son. And I, and I stopped him. I said, you need to explain to her that it's not separated. There's a forensic paper trail of the money going from her house to her bank account to your bank account, to your business, right? And if somebody wants blood and they want to sue you, they can see that you got funding from your mother's home and you need to explain that. It's, wow. I, I said, I said, it's, it's connectado. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know? right. And so, uh, and I don't think he meant poorly by it, but he wanted the money, right? And so he re-explained to her and now understanding that I knew what he was saying for the most part, that it's connected and there's a liability. And, and then I said to him, what is your biggest concern? And we just delved deeper into this again, because I wanted to help them. I didn't want to just screw him out of his ability to get money from his mom's house. I mean, it was going to be cheap money for him. It was going to help him a lot. I said, why do you need the money? And he explained, well, I've got a business loan. And it's like at like 17%. I'm like, dear God, why do you have a business loan at 17%, right? Well, I, I don't know. You know, I'm paying my dues. I was like, how long have you been in business? 10 years. Asking these questions. I was like, well, I know people that have gotten business loans for a great deal less than that. Have you looked into the SBA? Oh, yeah, I tried, but I never got a response which is easy if you don't do it, right? So I know somebody that does SBA loans, like in and out. So I got him on the phone right there. I said, I need you to help this, my client get an SBA loan. And, and so I connected them. Anyways, by the time we were done, I walked him and his mom out. They were both ecstatic. He was like, I'm so glad I came and met with you. You're helping me a lot. And then he called me a couple of days later. He goes, I just want to reiterate and say how thankful I am to you. We're not going to take cash out of mom's house for my business. I'm going to work with your friend. We're going to get the money through the SBA loan. And my mom is much more comfortable with this strategy. Wow, that's awesome. And so like, that's so gratifying to me, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, from cross country, brought from cross country, it's amazing. And when we were in Puerto Vallarta, in the back of the van, remember, <laughs> you were making calls to listing agents to yeah. say, you know, these clients are, you know, they've we've run them through underwriting. They're absolutely great. And yeah. it really helps to get offers accepted 
is having a great lender on board. Mm-hmm. And to be in the back of a van somewhere in the jungle <laughs> before an ATV ride, that is huge. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. I kept getting cut off because we were going through like dead Yeah, zones, but right? you, you, I was like, you're getting it for that climate. I was like, uh, I'm in the mountains. I'm sorry, I'm losing you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but it was in the mountains of Mexico. I think that's a very important, yeah. you, important point that. to yeah. make is that I always tell you, thank you for being such a valuable resource because your knowledge extends so far past just lending and right. the real estate market. Right. It, you're just a valuable resource and you really do like to help people. And I want people to understand that when we refer clients to you, it's not because you're our friend. You're our friend because of how you do business. Well, right. and then Rob also did my refi on my own personal property. Yeah. So it's not just referring out clients I mean, because there's some kind of connection. He works for like, us I'm trusting on a personal level. My own right. Yeah, same, right. same yeah. exact same yeah. thing for us. He just did our refi, but it's because we actually trust you and that's why we trust sending clients to you, not the other way around. You're not our friend that's asking for business. And right. I see that a lot in this industry. Yep. Agents who are friends with lenders and they refer all their friends to this lender because they're truly friends. They might have went to school together and they're all crappy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. No, this is somebody who's like, you just did my loan and you did an amazing job. Thank you. Now you're getting the referral to my clients because now I know and trust you. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And the friendship is, is separate. Well, I appreciate that. I really appreciate it. You guys trust and confidence and then I'm also really glad that we're friends because we yeah. have a lot of yeah, fun. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. You want to try the, uh, yeah, the, the cab water. the cab uh, Absolutely. Yeah, blend? Oh, oh, oh sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, Drink your last sip so you can have some. Yes, I know. I know. So I feel like we've touched on a lot of great topics today. I think we kind of caught everybody up to oh, speed with what the market's so doing and yeah. you know a lot of uh pros to being a buyer, a lot of pros to being a seller right now. Mm-hmm. In summary, I would say as far as buyers go, as long as it's the right time for you, it's always the right time. Yeah. Don't worry about yeah. you know what's going to happen next month, next year. As long as you can get in your house and you're not putting yourself into a tough spot financially, making your payment, real estate is the best investment that you can ever make. Um, as for sellers, it's an incredible time to be a seller and we could really use the listings uh, yeah. just in general. <laughs> so yeah. please, 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 if you're thinking about moving, uh, and you have a plan, do it because there's such a lack of inventory and there's so many ready, eager buyers out there. And, um, and, and have that have that team. I can't uh, stress that enough. Have that uh, that team behind you mm-hmm. that's going to do the right thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, before we end, um, we talked about the Alpha Omega wine. I know you know a lot about this one. Can you tell us about Well, that I don't one? really know a lot about it, but <laughs> I know that it's a... So Prisoner does a blend... Um, this is the Cabernet blend. You love Cab. Yes, I do. This is, I love a sweeter wine. This is, I'm not a huge Cab fan. I love this wine. And I, I think it's probably because it's blended. But Prisoner in general, I mean, I just love their wine. We drink a lot of Prisoner. We drink so a you, lot of Prisoner. We've heard about Prisoner on They got a beautiful podcast. winery. So Prisoner, so the Prisoner and Bachi are the two that I bounce back and forth from. I mean, it's just, that's just kind of your go-to, our go-to yeah. wine, mm-hmm. right? Um, little disclaimer, I feel like we have this wine about real estate podcast and people think that we actually know what we're talking about we as far as wine goes. We don't know much. It's don't really, it's really <laughs> just know, right? a way for us to share our favorite wines and yeah. to be able to drink. And I don't know why I like talk. them. They're just They're just delicious. amazing. But I mean, these wineries are super cool. Like if you, you Prisoner is beautiful. Lisa Tui is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You can go do wine tasting there. Yeah. We go all the time. Yeah, we really do enjoy these experiences, but yeah. um, wine was just a way so that we could, you know, well, have it's a reason just carry what we love the most. Right. And and you gave us an excuse to drink. Yeah, real estate and wine. That's yeah, very true. Absolutely. Well, so, thank you for joining us. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Magic real estate. Thank you for listening to the Maddox podcast. 
Thank you to our producer, Sam Lubman of Painless Podcasts for helping make this podcast possible. We started this podcast so we could share our real estate insights, as well as provide our listeners with a chance to get to know the Maddox team. Our goal is to make our clients' real estate sale or purchase as simple as possible, allowing them to sit back while we handle the hard work. To learn more about what we do or to look up resources about the Bay Area communities, visit our website at maddoxrealestate.com or give us a call at 510-993-0688.